2: Blog Talk Radio.
1: From Los Angeles, California, it's Music Friday Live, brought to you by. Solar City, your source for clean, sustainable energy. I'm your host, Patrick O'Heppernan, and today is a classic show. The Music Friday Live team is on vacation, so we're going to treat you to one of our best past shows. We're going to treat you to Mikey Ramone, the only remaining member of the Ramones, and Lee Presson, the founder and leader of Lee Presson and the Nails. This is going to be a great show. So stay tuned, but don't call in because we're not here, okay? This is Patrick O'Heffernan, your host on Music Friday Live, and this is your show. But as I said earlier, we are on vacation. This is a classic show. It was pre-recorded in January. So don't call in, don't email in. But if you are listening to us on a podcast or you want to email our guest, we can forward emails to them. But don't call in now because we're not here. And remember, our address is musicfridaylive at gmail.com. And here we go.
2: We're
1: going to take a break now, and uh, when we come back... um Marky Ramon joins us. Don't go away. You're listening to Music Friday Live.
3: Our troops aren't the only ones fighting right now. Thousands of military families are in crisis. They're fighting financial battles, how to pay the bills, even how to keep their homes and feed their children.
4: You can help by supporting Operation Homefront, a national nonprofit
3: that provides emergency assistance for military families and for wounded warriors when they come home. To learn more about how you can help, go to OperationHomefront.net.
1: We're back. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm your host here at Music Friday Live, and uh, I want to welcome all of our uh, our radio stations around the country, uh, the stations who are on the Cyber Station USA network. And I want to say a, a special welcome to our um, our friends in Oregon up there. So, hi everybody in Oregon who's listening to us today. I understand there's some new towers there. Also, want to tell everybody if you have questions or comments for our guests, you can call us at three four seven. Two one five seventy five eleven. That's three four seven two one five seventy five eleven. Or you can email your questions. You know, if you're sitting there at work and you've got your headphones on, and you're not really paying attention to that PowerPoint that's on the screen that your boss thinks you're working on, email us music at Gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, and I know a lot of you will be, you can still email your questions to our guests. We will forward your questions to them and they can reply directly to you. We'll remove your email address uh, so you don't get on somebody's email list you didn't want to unless you, you tell us differently. So you've got lots of ways to communicate with our guests. Speaking of our guests, in 1978, a young man by the name of Mark Bell was asked to take over the drums from Tommy Ramone in the early punk band, the Ramones. Well, the rest is history, as the Ramones became one of the most famous and respected bands in modern time. A new book, Punk Rock Krieg, My Life as a Ramone, tells that story as it happened through the eyes of the one remaining member of the band, Marky Ramone. And Marky is here with us today on Music Friday Live. Marky, welcome to Music Friday Live.
2: Ah, Thank you for having me. Thanks for that introduction. Very nice.
1: Well, Marky, it's it's always great to talk to another radio guy, okay?
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. Thank you. Forgot about uh, I that. Also,
1: I also love talking with authors, and you have written a, a really good book. Um, thank you. I've read it twice. And, wow. Wow. Uh, Um, Well, you know, people get obsessive about things occasionally, but actually, uh, it not only reads well, but it it kind of feels well. It feels like it's the truth. So how did you make sure that you avoided kind of the errors and exaggerations of all the other books that are out there about the Ramones?
2: Well, I was there. I I observed 15 years uh, being in the group, uh, obviously the other members, and 1,700 shows. So, yeah, you can't make that stuff up. Uh what's in the book is definitely for real, including myself, you know, the the brutal honesty about what I went through and, you know, uh you live and learn and observations about yourself. So, uh that's what the book really consists of. It's very comprehensive. And uh it was time to write it. I wanted cuz I read all the other books and, you know, uh, I'm not going to critique them or whatever. But uh, this this is the real deal. Uh, in those books, no one was really around, uh, except for our tour manager. So the other books, I just kind of, sh- you know, just take it like, you know, with a grain of salt. This is the inner circle of being in the Ramones. And, you know, they were my brothers, bandmates, and, you know, obviously business associates. And uh, like families, uh, you uh, get to know each other very well. So that's what that whole thing is about.
1: Well, that's one reason why it's such a good read and why it was definitely worth reading twice. Now, I worked my way through college partly as a collaborator on books for celebrities, um, business and politics. So I understand that what you did is not an easy process. And I know you went through two collaborators before you found uh, Richard Hirschlag.
2: So how did
1: you two work together?
2: Well, the first two collaborators didn't get my uh the, the way I I talk in the book uh, uh they were they were a, a lot different than what Richard uh put down on on words to paper he sound it sounds like me the way he wrote it and that's important uh to engage the uh reader when he's uh, writing a book when he's reading a book so uh he definitely nailed it and the uh book has 400 pages and uh, it definitely sounds like me, and I wanted the reader to be to feel like he he was in the inner circle too, or she was in the inner circle. So I I wanted that feeling in the book, you know, from my childhood, all the way up to the when I won the Grammys and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and and my time in the New York scene on the punk scene with CBGB's and Max's, as if the person was with me all along as he's re- reading it.
1: Well, you you achieve that. In fact, that that's one of the outstanding things about this book is the voice in the book. It, it, reading it is like talking with you and hearing your thoughts going on at the same time. Now, was it was it hard to open yourself up like that?
2: Well, you know, you got to get the skeletons out of the closet, and uh, I uh, the reason why I was so brutally honest about myself was because I was writing about uh, three other people. And um, you know, uh, if you're gonna write about your, uh, the other people, you got to be really nailed. You have to nail it about yourself too, because uh, I I really didn't reveal anything different about the other three or four members, but it's more in depth. Uh, you know, like I said, being in the band 15 years, I had that opportunity. So, uh, especially about when I had my little drinking stint, my periodic drinking problem, and going away for a while and being asked to leave the band, I didn't have to put that in there. But if somebody's reading it and I can help them if they have that kind of a problem, maybe that you know that that's uh, something that I achieved in that book. You know. Well, uh, speaking
1: uh, of 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 some of those incidents, there there are a ton of, memor- of memorable lines in the book, but there's one that really jumped out at me, because I think it seems to jump out at you, it's down on page 310, down at the bottom, and it's a quote from Monty, and it's a real simple sentence, it says, Mark, we need you. What went through your mind when you heard that on the phone?
2: Well, when I came, when they asked me to join the band the second time after my four years of not being in the group... Uh, I was a little reluctant because of the, uh, the hassles before in the band that I went through between Johnny and Joey. But then I said, you know, uh, I enjoy and love playing the music, and that's the most important thing. And I didn't want them not to play anymore or take months to find somebody else. They had uh, commitments. So I said to, uh, to Joey, I'll meet everyone at a rehearsal studio. So I, the only person that showed up, which was good, was John, because that's all that was necessary. We went over ten songs, and it was like I never left. And I kind of like got them out of a rut, uh, fortunately, because I didn't want to see that happening to them.
1: Well, when you heard Monty use the word need, did, yeah. did that... Did that kind of strike you, in your heart at all?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the other guy who replaced me for years deserted them out of nowhere, just walked out without saying a word, which, you know, in, in the military, uh, you can, you're can you up uh, for a, a court martial <laughs> And Clem uh, Burke from Blondie, uh, who's a great drummer, and, and we're, we're friends, and I love him and Blondie, the way he plays, but he's not a Ramones drummer. He lasted two days. So that's when they needed me because they knew that I knew the songs as I was able to play it, and they knew that uh, you know I got uh, I got silver, so that uh, that helped. So uh, I kind of said, "Okay, look, you know, I I love these guys. They're in a predicament. How would I feel? You know, what would I do if I was in a band and I needed a uh, you know the the one of the integral parts of the group to continue." So I understood what was going on, and uh, I said yes, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, I I want to read another quote, and this is from the chapter uh, Dog Days. And uh, you wrote, There were times when music became a job, and there were times when music became a burden. But I understand now, maybe for the first time, that playing was not a job, playing was not a burden, I was born
2: to play. That
1: realization came kind of late in your career why did it take so long
2: to in to make me feel that way yeah well you know in the beginning uh in the beginning when you're struggling uh, like anyone else in, in life uh that that uh you know playing in different bands and um uh, you know having to uh wait around to play and then uh moving the equipment yourself uh you know all the other things that that come with it. Uh, just the trying to establish yourself as a as a uh, you know known musician. That that kind of takes a little time. So I was probably referring to that. But with the Ramones, it was mainly uh, just playing. I, I didn't consider that a job. Uh, the the uh, the thing that you have to do really is fly. You have to. Uh, uh... being a van and tour you have to do sound checks you have to play the show you have to do interviews but you know that that comes with it and when you get into the business you have to expect that but i never felt it was work when i was out of the band for four years uh... to help my sobriety i wanted to just do physical things and that was real work uh, i i did construction work i did dem- demolition work i uh... Put up wrought iron gates in crack houses, so that I did that just to stay in shape, because I always wanted to go back to drumming. So uh, you know, I, I I know what it's like to do the the, the real heavy uh, physical labor. Uh, and then I got back in the band again, so that that really helped me uh, meeting different kinds of people. Uh, you know, just uh, in life, you know, different businesses out out of the music business. So, you know, compared to that and then playing, it, it's totally totally different. Playing is just, you know, having a good time and uh, doing what what you always wanted to do and, you know, following your dreams, you know.
1: Well, that sounds like you get to do both. Uh this um this book is is kind of jam-packed. I mean, every very, single page very is-
2: comprehensive. <laughs> Very
1: comprehensive. And it's got a lot of uh, funny little stories in it. And one of the funniest, at least to me, was when you were at a Cracker Bell and you had been dared to eat a Beetle and decided not to, then you and your band went in the restaurant, had dinner. And then after you left the restaurant, an elderly lady who'd been watching you guys inside the restaurant came up to Monty and she said something to him. Do you remember what she said?
2: Yeah, Monty was a tour manager and the lady went up to Monty and asked and said to uh the tour manager, Monty, it's very nice of you taking care of these uh, you know, retarded boys. And I don't know what the uh the uh politically correct uh term is now, you know. But uh that's what the woman thought and she was very uh uh you know, uh surprised or or grateful to Monty that he was able to take care of us like that, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, I I just had to laugh at that. It it said so much,
2: right? There's so many things in that book to laugh about. (laughs) Oh, there really
1: are, too. Well, that's a great segue. You know, we we, we always play a little music on this show, so I want to play a little bit of uh, I Want to Be Sedated. Uh, well, we're we'll, like, take a look at all the emails that are... Well while telling the story of the Ramones, you, you, um, you also give us some great drum lessons. Uh, I love the description of the tempo changes in from a dry camel, for instance. You give us a look at what goes on in a drummer's mind, which leads me to ask, because we've just listened to it, how do you describe your drumming style? What is your signature?
2: Well, the Dry Camel song was from the first band I was in, Dust. Uh, We did two albums, and we were one of the first heavy metal bands in America at the time. But uh, compared to the Ramones, Dust was uh, a very technical band. The Ramones was very straight ahead, eighth notes and quarter notes. My drumming is uh, what I can do is adapt to different styles, because when I was growing up and in my late teens and early twenties, I listened to a lot of different guys, different genres. I liked jazz drummers, I liked Dave Rubeck, I liked Miles Davis, uh I liked their drummers, I liked Buddy Rich, I liked uh, Ringo, I liked uh, Keith Moon, John Bonham. Well, you know, all these great drummers and I just uh was so influenced by them I just uh it, it all I absorbed all that and then uh, I applied it to whatever I was going to confront in the studio. So I guess you could say I'm just adaptable.
1: Okay, well, that's a great quote. Uh, we're talking with uh, Marty Ramone about his new book, "Punk Rock Blitzkrieg: My Life as a Ramone," and you can talk with him too. You can call in three four seven two one five seventy five eleven, or you can email us at MusicFridayLive at gmail.com. And a lot of you have, so let's turn to some of these emails here. This is from Beatrice in Los Angeles, and Beatrice wants to know, do you ever play with your twin brother?
2: Well, we we definitely uh, uh, you know, jam when I, when I have the time, uh, when I go to the studio where he lives. Uh, he's a blues enthusiast and a great, great guitar player. And I have done a few tracks with him. But, uh, um, you know, he has his own uh, uh, thing going, and I have my thing going. So, you know, when we get together, if there's something that he wants to record, I I would, you know, definitely help him out.
1: Uh, Mandy in uh, New York City, uh, speaking of Dust, uh, says, Dutch was such a great band. Why did it break up, and can we still get their albums?
2: Why did Dust break up? Because we were still in high school. And my father wanted that diploma on the wall. So uh, I had to rehearse with them, and then I had to go to night school and summer school at the same time. And then uh, we started touring with major bands throughout the United States. And uh, we were still kind of, you know, 16, 17 years old. So, you know, there were so many responsibilities and obligations to other things. Because we weren't really grown up yet, so we had to finish high school. and Then uh, Dust fizzled out, and then the guitar player, Richie Wise, who was going on, I think he was 19 and a half, he was older than we were because he already graduated, and he uh, produced the first two Kiss albums. And then I just started recording with other artists, and so did Kenny Aronson, the bass player. So, uh, you know, that's so you can get the Dust albums on Sony Legacy, we just remastered them, both CDs are on one CD, and there's this wonderful vinyl. So yeah, there's, there's still, uh, you can get it now, because it's kind of reissued.
1: Okay, Mandy, you can go to, uh, to, to Sony and, and get those. Uh, Bilal in, in Austin, um, do you have a favorite Ramones song and a favorite Ramones album, and is there a song you don't like?
2: Oh, I love Rockwell High School because it was part of the movie and the soundtrack. My favorite album is Road to Ruin, the first one I was on, and the first Ramones album. Um, what album that I don't like is Subterranean Jungle. I don't like the drum sound, and uh, there's some good songs on there, but I didn't like the way the producer tampered with my sound. He made it sound like uh, drum machines. So uh, that definitely wasn't part of what the Ramones sounded like. So when I heard it, I I was disgusted.
1: Uh, Ozo in San Francisco wants to know, is your drumming different today than it was when you were first in the Ramones?
2: No, I I continue to play the world with uh, my group and we do 36 classic Ramones songs. Uh, I have Andrew W.K. as my vocalist, but I play the same way I did when I joined the Ramones and that's you know, that's that's the way you have to do it because that's what the songs call for. And uh there's a whole new generation out there that didn't see the Ramones and it's funny I went to China, Russia, Dubai and Vietnam, places the Ramones would have never have dreamt of going to and I, I see it everywhere. It's amazing that that there's, there's this whole new onslaught of uh young people who love this band and that's why it's such a joy to continue playing you know these songs so yeah my drumming is still the same
1: okay uh, one of the uh, iconic uh, songs uh, of the Ramones is, uh, is about a woman so I, I want to play a, a, a little bit of um, Sheena and then Great talk about uh, women in punk this is uh, Sheena's a punk rocker Now, in the book, you you honor a number of of women, Joan Jett and Debbie Harry and others. How would you describe the impact of women artists have had on punk?
2: Well, uh, it's great to see uh, uh, women liking the genre music. Uh, Debbie Harry, I mean, uh, she's great. Uh, I had uh, you know the chance to observe the band many times in CBGB's since we all knew each other. So, uh, you know, I mean, we all have angst. We all uh, deal with uh, life uh, on life's terms. Nothing really ever changes. Uh, You know, we still have poverty. Uh, There's still wars. There's still uh, uh, unemployment. There's still uh, political problems. And, you know, it's been going on uh, since punk started and even before that. So it's really cool to see women singing about what what they feel, and you can do that in a punk song because they're two minutes long. Uh, you can you can definitely uh, reveal your feelings in two minutes, and then uh, just uh, record it, and hopefully everyone can hear and relate to what you're singing about. And Debbie Harry does a really did a really great job doing that. And so did Brody of the Distillers, who I really like, and uh, Joni. She uh, she does uh, very well, too. And uh, we did a song together called Don't Blame Me on one of my albums. So it was a joy to have a, a woman singing along with uh, my uh, male lead singer.
1: Well, actually, you um, you have a, a, a definition of uh, punk in, in the book. Um, you call it uh, bold, unpolished beauty. Two minutes to convey your message of love, hate, anger, joy, frustration, fun, sarcasm, war, or sometimes just an inside joke among friends. And I think that, yeah, exactly. that sums it up uh, pretty <laughs> well. Um, I have a, uh, a request from my drum instructor. I'm taking drum lessons, too. Um, at, and he wants to know, what current punk band do you think is the best musically?
2: The best current punk band that's the best musically uh, well there's a band out of London that's really good. They're called the Gallows. Uh that they do some pretty interesting things. Um uh, uh the Riverboat Gamblers drum is good, I like him, and I and uh I like the way Trey Cool from Green Day kinda, you know, goes along with what I, what I what I play, you know. So, you know, uh there's a lot of good drummers out there.
1: Well, you, um, you're continually bridging a generation gap yourself. Your music, your radio show, your tours, and there were 10-year-olds, oh, yeah. 12-year-olds listening to you last night at the the book reading. Uh, why do you think you're able to make that connection across generations when so many other bands just sort of come and go?
2: Well, I think it's the lyrical content. I think it's the energy that the youth sees what we did and what I continue to do today. And they wanna be part of it, you know. A lot of a lot of the youth now they're they're fed up with the uh, the samples and the tapes and you know, uh uh getting ripped off at concerts where the bands or individuals are just singing along the tapes. They they know that. They see that, you know, they they know when a when a performer has to rely on that. Now they're going back to the organic bands, you know, uh where, uh, you know, they know that the bands are from the street, meaning that we were real, we weren't fabricated, and we didn't have to rely on on uh, all these uh, crutches.
1: You know, there's a band here in um, Los Angeles, um, Alex Nestor, whose logo is no autotunes, so I know exactly what you mean.
2: Yeah, Plus, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just fooling the people, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think that's fair.
1: I don't think so either. And, I, and I, that's, that's one fine. reason why I've been following your music since uh, you started playing it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, you. since you're a radio guy, you know that the clock and the producer is telling me we have to wrap it up. So I'm going to wrap it up by reading the final paragraph in the book because it's so poignant and so hopeful. You write that John, D. D. Joey, And all the wonderful people we worked with in the Ramones, as well as our friends and other bands, were blessed and cursed by the same thing. They were way ahead of their time. The time they were looking forward to is now. Well, Marty, I think you are exactly right. And I'm glad that you're out there making music. And I want to thank you for joining us today and giving us this wonderful look into your soul and into the soul of punk. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much.
1: The book is Punk Rock Blitzkrieg, My Life as a Ramon. It's published by Touchstone Books. It's available in bookstores and online at Amazon.com, SimonSchuster.com, and, of course, at MarkyRamon.com. And, by the way, while you're on Marky's site, order some of his great pasta sauce and get yourself (laughs) a Marky Ramon apron to wear while you cook with it. I mean, how cool (laughs) is that? (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Mike. Northern California listeners, uh, particularly uh, with the Ozo who who emailed in, you can see Marky in person tomorrow night at the Jewish Community Theater in San Francisco on California Street. Thanks again, Marky. This has been fun.
2: Oh, anytime. Have a good day.
1: You too. We have to take a break now, and when we return, Lee Presson, founder of the one and only Lee Presson and the Nails, don't go away. You are not going to want to miss this. This is going to be so much fun. We're back at Music Friday. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. Remember that this is not a live program. The Music Friday Live team is on vacation, so don't call in, don't email in, but do keep listening. And we would like to hear from you, so don't forget you can call in, 347-215-7511. You can email us. You can email us at musicfridaylive at gmail.com. I want to apologize to all of the people whose emails we didn't get to. We will forward them on to uh, Marky, and hopefully he'll be able to answer your questions. I'm sorry. We just ran out of time. Okay. All right. Uh we have to have a quick word from our wonderful sponsor, solar city. Now, solar power is a huge win win for homeowners, but a lot of people are reluctant to take the plunge into solar you know because of the upfront cost. Well, with solar city, you can go solar for zero that's zero upfront cost on approved credit. Solar city will come out and install a solar system in your home for free, and you only pay for the power you use, you know just like you do from the utility company, but you pay a lot less because the sun is making a lot of the power solar city pays for the system it ensures the system it maintains the system and all you have to do is sit back and enjoy the savings so if you've been ready for solar but solar hasn't been ready for you it is now at solar city america's number one clean energy provider how do you find out well i got a number for you a telephone number you knew i was going to do that so you're all ready that number is 909 618 6937 909 618 6937. And when somebody answers, you're probably going to talk to Tina. She's my representative there. But whoever you talk to, tell them I sent you and you will get a discount on your bill. That's 909 618 6937. Well, Lee Presson and the Nails are an award winning nine piece swing band from San Francisco that has been delivering. Their peculiar brand of swing since 1994. Actually, peculiar is not quite the right term for what they do on stage. Better description might be cartoon swing, sledgehammer swing, sinister swing. This is all in your face, all stops out, fire-breathing and nitro-burning, really, really funny swing led by a cool cat who's like Betty Boop's worst nightmare, But when the horns howl and the drums beat and the cymbals clash and the dancing starts, it's your entertainment dream come true. Our entertainment dream is coming true right now because Lee Presson is here with us. Lee, thank you for joining us.
3: Holy smokes, that's a mountain of adjectives you poured out in front of me. Thank you very much.
1: Well, you know, I'm actually over-educated, so I, I have to do something with all those edges. Otherwise, it just lay around the studio.
3: <laughs> well, golly, I don't, I don't think there's anything left after all that. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And Holy smokes, I'm following a Ramon. That, that is an honor, by the way, I must say.
1: Well, uh, you can actually see him tomorrow night if you want to go into, uh, in the, the Bay Area. You can see him tomorrow night at the Jewish Community Center in San Francisco and tell him that you followed him.
3: That L- is that is right here in town. I'm going to have to check that out.
1: That's right. Well, first of all, uh, how was LPN, as you are often known, uh, born or hatched or constructed in the Secret Basement Laboratory or, or wherever it came from? How did the band get put together?
3: I've I've always, well, first things first, I've always loved this type of music ever since I was six years old, and I found a Billy May record in my mom's record collection. And so I've, I've always wanted to learn, I've always wanted to one day have a band that could do that, and when I finally got to the, uh, when I finally got to the point in my musical education where I figured I could tackle something like that, I just, uh, I pulled together some friends of mine that I knew, and we just sort of built it slowly over the course of 20 years until here we are now.
1: <laughs> and uh, what was your musical education? Did, did you actually go to formal music school?
3: I did not. No, I had a theater background. My father was a uh, a college professor at the College of Marin. He taught theater arts and appreciation of film. So my my backgrounds were theater and film. Music was incidental, but uh, it, it just grabbed more of my psyche as, as I grew older, and I, I wanted to learn more about it. I've never had any formal training. This is all
1: research. Well, well, that explains a lot right? because you, you are you are far more than a band leader. I mean, you're a musician, you're a band leader, you're a performance artist, you're a satirist, you're a ringmaster. Uh, how did you learn to do all the things Thank you do you. on stage?
3: I'm I'm also a freelance mortician and a part-time bubble pack tester.
1: Oh, those were nouns um, I didn't happen to have in the studio.
3: Okay, Well was the question again? <laughs>
1: How did you how did you learn to do all the things that you actually do on stage?
3: Oh that, yeah, well that's just that that's just growing up on the stage, doing theater, uh learning uh learning from the greats, learning from the great clowns of of film, uh Keaton Chaplin, and then of course the great dancers of the MGM musicals, uh Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. Then you move into the great uh early film comedies of the Marx brothers and, and that's, it just all sort of plombs together, much like your opening introduction into a wheelbarrow full of adjectives that describes (laughs) best what I do.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, uh I'm going to, uh, I want to give our, uh, our audience a, a sample of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to yes. play uh, a song from uh, your new album, Balls in Your Face, and this is called The Little German Band. Yes.
0: They all want money when they play, I give them more to go away. They don't play something new, they blow until they're blue. And when you think they're true, they sing a line or two. Like the in the trees. Everybody sing with us.
1: La 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 la
0: la la Ah, that was
4: Bundabar.
1: You know, you you don't hear polka music a lot outside of German clubs, but but you not only give us a great polka, but you make it funny. I'll bet that's a real audience pleaser.
3: That's the only way to keep them listening. I mean, we're going to say, we're going to, we're going to put out a ballroom album. You know, you don't really get a lot of, uh, the young people aren't really much into ballroom, although some of them are, and we're very happy yeah. about that. That's, but yeah, that no, was no, the no. impetus for this project. But uh, I'm getting was, ahead of myself.
1: Well, no, that, no that, that, that's quite all right. And, and actually, you're right. There are a lot of young people in the ballroom. We've, we've got a, a, a close friend who competes in state championships in ballroom dancing. So I know that they're out there now- but you just mentioned young people who is your audience because when I look at your ah. your videos, there are a lot of young people in your audiences,
3: yeah, well, in the they when they were young, let's say in the mid nineties when the swing revival was happening, they were young then they're not so young now, but they have kids now, and they're saying, "What did you listen to when you were a kid Well, we listened to we press on the nails, hi, kids." <laughs> 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 we used to play for your folks
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's exactly but what, what uh, Marky Ramone just said
3: <laughs> exactly yeah and I and yeah. I love I love the younger the audience the more I love it I love seeing somebody who's under 10 looking at what I'm doing and smiling because it's underneath everything of all the underneath all the jokes and everything it's still it's jazz and my 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 job is to expose as many people to this fabulous American musical art form as possible.
1: Well, you, you, you do expose a lot. So uh, let's listen to this. <laughs> this is Lydia, the tattooed lady. All right,
0: Lydia, oh Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. She has a- That encyclopedia Yes, Lydia, the queen of tattoos On her back is the
1: battle of Waterloo the Well, to say um, that night. song paints a picture uh, would be an understatement. Um, <laughs> it's, such, <I'm, laughs> it's such fun. I mentioned but the I, Marx
3: Brothers earlier, and there you go.
1: <laughs> there you go, right. I suspect yeah. you wrote that song uh, to be performed live. Um, have you ever had uh, Lydia on stage with you?
3: Uh, yes, yes, as a matter of fact, since I work with the Hubba Hubba Review, which is a burlesque review up here in San Francisco, um, I, I work with a lot of ladies in various modes of undress, and yes, we have done that song while a live tattooed lady is on stage uh, showing us her various works.
1: Well, that, uh, that's exciting, <laughs> in, Yes. In of on stage, um, you... Um, your stage act is really high energy, and you have lots of costumes—or lack of them—and it's very wild. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of yes, a, it is. It would be a throwback to the 20, uh, to the twenties, or even to the turn of the last century. But you've got a really modern feel to it. Uh, now, how do you how do you do that? How do you create this twenty first century swing?
3: It's uh, it's not it, well. The reason why the reason why we do what we do is to dispel the myth that jazz is boring jazz is not boring it can be exciting and and dangerous and uh when you say when i when you say i, I put modern tropes into uh, uh old songs it's not really it's not that it's new and old in the fact that the old never really is that old um you we do modern tunes but we do them in an old style way as opposed to like what would say what would uh if we took if we took say, you know, a modern day if we took Green Day it stuck it in nineteen thirty four, what would they do with the uh resources available to them at that time? It's that kind of, of philosophy.
1: Well you you pull it off uh, very well and part of the way you pull it off is, is with costume, because costume's a really important part of your act and you know. Oh, we always put the part, yes. well not really because a lot of bands these days just show up with whatever they found on the floor of their bedroom that morning um
3: oh i can't stand that
1: well which i think answers my next question would your music be the same if you just if you played in a jeans and t-shirt
3: oh sometimes sometimes people who are in the club post pictures of us doing sound check and i I that kind of makes me cringe a little bit because we're we're not wearing our our good clothes. We're just up there in regular clothes doing sound check. It's like, "Don't I don't want to show that to people. I want to show I, I don't want to be up in front of them. Yeah, you know, no one wants to go and see a guy who's dressed just as as regular as they are. They, you want to see a show. So, I always stress to the boys, you know, make sure your tie is straight, make sure you're dressed nice. Later, uh, lately we've been doing shows in matching suits. It's it's important, uh, and the, we've got we've got the the music stands up there. It's a uniform look. They had that a lot in the thirties and forties. Just it's just a great old look. I'm trying to preserve that as much as possible.
1: Well, I think I think you are. Um, we've got some uh, email questions here. Some of our listeners uh, want to know some things. Uh,
4: uh, Ooh, mix, good. It
1: yes. <laughs> mix it up, mix it up. Forty two and Selena says. We need you here in the farmland. We'll trade lettuce for music. <laughs> <laughs> Salinas? Okay. Salinas.
3: I'll, I'll add that to the list. We'll go up there. We do a song called Picking Up the Cabbage. I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Okay. Keep in mind that, that lettuce is is one, uh, one way of saying money.
3: Yes, that's true, and so is cabbage.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Buster Black in Oakland uh, wants to know if he can bring uh, his kids to your shows.
3: Oh well it, usually it all depends on the uh, the venue. Sometimes we play in bars. So if the kid's got a if the kid's got a fake ID, you could probably get him in. Uh <laughs> in terms of subject matter, we we don't we aren't that I I'd, I'd say we're suitable for the whole family if that's if that's the question you're asking. As I, a matter of fact, have, I enjoy, I enjoy seeing kids at shows. He
1: he may have been referring to your mention of uh, the burlesque dancers.
3: Oh that? Well, yeah. That's <laughs> okay, if you don't mind, if you don't mind some boobs every once in a while, we usually let people know if we're if we're co-headlining with a burlesque act. That's not part of our show.
1: <laughs> okay, well, of course, uh, burlesque. just So everybody knows, burlesque is not striptease. It's 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 different, and it generally has a lot more clothes on it. Uh, exactly. So, yes. Yeah. Well, not
3: a lot more. Just enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> enough,
3: enough to be enough to to step it up into another area of of legality. Uh, no, that that would be with the the Hubba Hubba Review, which we frequently work with. And if you want burlesque, they're the best in town. Um, but we work separately from them as well.
1: All right. Well, uh, I noticed that that Buster Blank is in Oakland, and he's fairly close to a show that you are about to to uh, put on in Alameda. You want to tell us about that?
3: Sure, yeah. Uh Capone's, Capone's Speakeasy in Alameda. We played there on New Year's Eve for the very first time. And the guy uh true to form like what I said earlier, the guy said, "Now, you're going you guys are going to be exciting, right? You don't want to you're not going to play any of that boring jazz, are you?" And I said, "No, none of that boring jazz." <laughs> <laughs> After the first set, he would have said, "Okay, you guys are fantastic. How late can you play?" You know, so they're they're having us back, and we will be there on the twenty first of February. Uh,
1: and, and I should also point out to, um, to to my listeners in Northern California and to Buster uh, Black in Oakland that if you do go see the show in Capone's Capone's, like many clubs now, has a dress code, so they That's want you true, to. Show- yeah. Yeah, I want you to show up, uh, dressed for the part, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a lot more fun. Uh, well, I want to to play a little more music, um, and this is you were speaking about jazz, but this is kind of a modern swing tune, at least as far as is I'm concerned. It is called Lithium, and it's the bonus track on your latest album, which is called Balls in Your Face.
4: Yes.
0: Happy Cause today I found my friend. They're in my head I'm so ugly But that's okay Cause so are you We're broken our mirrors Sunday morning Is every day for all I care And I'm not scared Light my candles in a day
1: That is anything but boring. It's certainly not boring, all right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Well, in in addition to the fact that it is great music, uh, it's got some interesting lines in it. Um, I love the line that says, um, "Light candles every day because I found God." I I found God. I assume you were talking to God in Lithium.
3: Oh well, this is an old Nirvana song, actually. Uh, Kurt Cobain wrote that.
1: He would. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So,
3: yeah, all I had to do is, uh, yeah, so I took, that's a Nirvana song that we managed to make swing. And all I did was change the feel a little bit. I didn't change any of the notes. I didn't change any of the lyrics. All we did was just change up the feel and observe how well it works in a swing context.
1: Well, the, um, uh, the, the music in it, you start out with the beat being carried um by a stand up bass, and then there's a drum that takes over and it's it's very very nicely done and uh did, did it take you a while to arrange that
3: uh once i once i um I have to think about a new arrangement for a few weeks, I have to get it all worked out in my head, and then once I can get a really good picture in my head of what it's gonna sound like, the rest is just scribbling,
1: <laughs> okay. Scribily, huh? All right.
3: Yeah, and um, then it's you were- just, okay, I just write the dots. Got to draw the dots. Okay, you play this, you play that, you play that, and bam. Okay, try this. And then uh, most of the times it works. Sometimes it won't work. Sometimes when I hear it actually played in real life, it'll go, oh, back to the drawing board on that one. <laughs>
1: no, that's, that's what rehearsals are for.
3: Exactly.
1: Uh, Now, you were just at the steampunk convention on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Now, uh, how was that? Were there lots of costumes and dancing? Oh, that was
3: a fun show. I really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, Her Royal Majesty's Steampunk Symposium that happens every January on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Uh, This is their fourth annual one. They've had us down every year, and it's all the steampunk kids from Southern California – big convention with workshops and seminars and and bands at night of which we were one and uh it's just always a great time we enjoy it it's the highlight of our year
1: well I, I looked at some of the videos there and and uh your 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 fans were all decked out they had their uh their costumes on and and you had your costumes on and you all looked like you were having just a great time so i recommend that <laughs> to uh to, to folks next year. And also something else, uh, if, when you come back into Los Angeles, you ought to check out a place called the Edison. I know we've talked about it. My listeners in L.A. know about it. It's in downtown L.A. It, it's kind of a, a two-story speakeasy hidden inside of a 1920s-era electrical generating plant and has a secret entrance on the alley. There's no sign anywhere. It sounds like it's definitely your kind of place. So if you do in yeah. come to L.A., let us know. We'll have you back on. Well,
3: I lived uh, I lived in L.A. for a short time, uh, and they, I was I moved out just as the Edison was setting up. So I'm anxious to check it out.
1: Okay, you know, well, uh, let let us know. We'll definitely have you back on the air. Now I've got another another one of your songs I, I want to play, and it's uh, all right. It, it, it's one that I'm sure a lot of people can identify with. It's called Hot for Teacher. Now you you really get going on that one, don't you
3: <laughs> no i have a confession to make we didn't write that song either,
1: okay, <laughs> yeah. right. but you perform it,
3: yes, yes, that's an old van Halen tune, and then yeah, we I, appeared, I, I, and know. I I thought that one that one swings too, so let's do
1: it yeah well that that's an interesting question actually, we've got some emails here that that sort of address that, but you do covers and i like the fact that you do covers because it's a way to show that that uh you know swing and jazz is, is adaptable but, but how do you decide which songs you want to cover
3: sometimes they just strike me i'm listening to it i mean there are some songs that we do because we should we're a swing band and we should do songs like sing 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 and uh um, and we the cat show happier the stand the stuff that pennies from heaven the stuff that we as a swing band should be doing to be called a swing band and then there are other songs that just strike me that if it you know if we tweaked it just a little bit it would work that's that's the idea that's gotten me into so much trouble over the years
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh well, since you said that, uh, I, I'd like to, to go back and play uh, a little bit of uh, lithium again, and then maybe you could okay. tell us how you went about uh, tweaking it. So let's listen. Let's listen to say another thirty seconds or so of lithium, and then talk about what you did with it.
3: Sure. Sure.
0: So happy, cuz today I found my friend. They're in my head. I'm so ugly, but that's okay, cuz so are you. We're broken our mirrors. Sunday morning is every day for all I care, and I'm not scared. Light my candles in a
1: Okay, now when you sat down to repurpose that song, um, right. how did you do it? how did you do it?
3: Uh, took it from straight four into swing time first of all, made it and that made it a little a little happier. And then when we got to the chorus, I thought, well, I can't possibly emulate Kurt Cobain's amazing tortured singing style. So rather than do that, I thought I'd just give it to the horns. And then when you give it to the horns, it makes it even a little lighter still. And suddenly it's this lovely, happy song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, is what lithium is supposed to do, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Was it, uh, does does your band work with you on that? Or does it all just kind of come out of your head and then you tell the band?
3: Uh, because, Because we've been working together for so long, I am aware of what they're capable of and what they can do. So when I'm writing the arrangements I'm thinking okay I'll put this here for the tenor sax and and I know Randy can handle this so here we go. So yeah I wouldn't give them parts that I didn't think they could play and I know they can shine.
1: Uh we've got some more emails here we're getting tight on time but here's here's a very interesting one. Um this is from Good. Cordon. For it.
4: Let's go. Uh, yes. In
1: Los Angeles, and Cordon says, I looked at uh, all of your videos, and I don't see any women in your band. Are there any women in your band?
3: Ah, ah, ah Leslie Presley, the light of my life, my the the best wife I ever had. She was our female vocalist from 1995, and then, then she was my wife and female vocalist up until 19... 19- and then 2005, six, and then finally in 2010, she moved to New York, and we never saw her again. But she was oh. our female vocalist, Leslie Presley, and I said hello okay. to her wherever she is. Hello, Leslie okay. Presley. We All miss right, you. Well,
1: <laughs> we are uh, we we now are out of time. Uh, All Mary, right, I'm then. gonna. I want to say thank you very much for for being with us. Uh, this has been lots of fun, and if you get into L.A., let me know. I'd like to come see your show and review it, too.
3: Oh, we just got back from there, but we'll be going back down very soon, I'm guessing.
1: Okay, well... This is Lee Presson. The band is Lee Presson and the Nails. Check them out at leepresson.com, and you can also see the videos, and don't count the number of men in the videos. And you can check out Mm -hmm. news on his Facebook page, and you can get any and all of his albums on his website or at Amazon or at iTunes. You've been listening to Music Friday Live with Patrick O'Heffernan from Cyberstation USA, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and our radio affiliates. If you like our Facebook page or follow our Twitter feed, you'll get a real-time update on our guests. You can also get, send us suggestions on who you'd like to have on the air, and we'll uh, take a look at them, too. And you can check out our website for that. That's musicfriday.nationbuilder.com. And uh, We'll see what you have to say. Our producer is Lars Christensen. Our program director is Jason Bartlepin. Our intern is Angeline Serrano. And you can download this and other Music Friday programs at blogtalkradio.com. And our podcasts are on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Be here next Friday. Two hard rock women will be on the show. Militia Vox and Eleanor Goldfield of Rooftop Revolutionaries. This show is going to rock. Check out our Twitter stream and our Facebook page, and we will update you on the guests. Good night, everybody. Uh, Have a great musical weekend. We're going to leave you with uh, Hot for Teacher by Lee Presson and the Nails, and we'll see you all next week.